And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they cried out in one voice, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Hey, welcome church. Glad that you could join us today. We are starting a new series today um, called Tribe, and uh, it really wants to tackle, we want to tackle this issue of racism, prejudice, and injustice in our country. And I, I really want us as a, as a family, and I'm joined today with some of our family here. Um, I hopefully won't be too distracted by everyone here today, but I, I want to speak to us around this topic. I mean, you Everyone knows that division and divisiveness is evident in our culture today. People are, are divided um, nearly over everything. It's very hard to find any common ground. If you turn on the news or even go through social media, um, it's difficult to find people agreeing on some things. I really believe as a church, we need to really begin the conversations first and foremost in our own home. And anytime things are corrected, and are heading in a direction that's honoring to God, we first need to take account of our own heart. You know, David said this, he said, Lord, search my heart um, and test within me. He says, search my heart. And for all of us, in order for us to take any ground in this conversation, we first need to start the conversation with ourselves. Um, I know people are always excited. They're like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna make a great impact. I'm gonna start doing this and doing that. And I'm gonna gather people before we do anything. We need to search our own heart. And then we need to gather our own family. We need to gather those who are in our own house. Our house needs to be in order before we change a community and before we change a nation. And so we need to make sure that we're having those conversations in our own home. And I know that there are a lot of different opinions on what needs to be done now. And I believe more than anything else, we as the church, the church of Jesus, we need to make sure that, that we are united. And I think more than anything, our, our focus should be on what unites us. Um, listen, division is not new. It's not like, wow, this is a new concept, division in our, in our nation. It's, it's not new. It's been happening for a really long time. But um, rather than focusing on division, well, let me just say this. Injustice, racism, prejudice, it is not resolved um, through greater division. Um, some are excited over the fact that it is brought to the forefront of conversation, which I am too, and conversation is needed in every sphere of society around it. But greater division doesn't heal injustice. It doesn't, it doesn't promote unity in it. And for the church, uh, I mean, we've, we've had conversations about this, and I'm always left at the end of a conversation. Uh, it's just my nature. I'm always saying, okay, now what? Like, now what? What do we do from here? Like, where do we go? Is it just great conversation pastor and then it's like kind of I don't know what to do with my hands type thing it's that awkward like okay now what do we do and sometimes it can seem so big where you feel like your role is insignificant in really making a difference both of those are a lie we have something that we can do and our voice and our actions do carry power we need to remember as believers in Jesus that that he's called us to be united. He's called us to be together. And it's so important when we, when we pray and when we read the word of God, um, and I don't know about you, but recently, it's almost like I, I'm trying to figure out how to bring divided parties together. 
Like, how do I, how do I help them understand um, the differences between one group and the other group? And society's done a great job at making us aware of our differences yeah. um, between men and women right. and black and right. white, political parties, you name it. The society is very good at telling us our differences. But differences don't divide us. They make us distinct and unique in the eyes of God. It actually complements what God intended to happen in the body of Christ. And But we need to remember that in all that's going on in the world, my fundamental focus should be, what am I united under? What holds us together? Like really, what holds us together? What is this one thing that holds us together? It's not a political party. It's not, it's not an ideology. It's not a location. It's not an area. It's not the name of our church. What holds us together? It is one name. It's the name of Jesus. And Jesus binds and holds and keeps us together. That's the umbrella that we stand under. That's the thing that unifies us in a place of strength. And it's important for us to understand that. Jesus said this prayer. He was praying to the Father in John chapter 17, and this is an interesting prayer, but he says this, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, speaking of the believer, will are still in the world. He says, I am go- coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, listen now, so that they may be one as we are one. His prayer before he went to be with the Father, Jesus, his prayer for us was that we would be one was for that we would be one. He had this understanding that the enemy has a plot and a plan. He understands that the enemy, that our adversary has a, has a, has a plan. And I, I, I wanna just pause here. I don't have this written down, but I, I think it's important that I say this. We see the evidence of a spiritual manifestation in society. We see division and we see riots and we see looting and we see hatred and we see bitterness and we see injustice and we see all of this stuff, but there's a root of that. There's a root work of that in the spiritual realm. And what you're often seeing is the outworking of a demonic kind of spirit. And I just want us as as followers of Jesus to recognize that the enemy is very, very happy when division happens. And every time we back ourselves into a corner and say, well, this is really what I believe. And we start start saying, well, I don't know if, if what you believe is right. And we start discord and fighting and arguing. And the Lord wants us to gather together and not forget our our differences and our our opinions that may not align with one another, but he wants us to understand what unifies us and brings us together as believers in Jesus. I I remember in college, and we would we had different teams and the punt team or the PAT, the point after touchdown and the extra point team. And it was funny on those teams, they were all that, that team would only be successful if everyone did the exact same thing at the exact same time. Um, the extra point was funny because um, it was always easy to tell who messed up because they would not do things in unison or and they would not cause unity with the group and there would be a fracture in it and then we would be unsuccessful. So every time the, the, the ball would be snapped, everyone would step down together and you would create this tight barrier mm. with one another. And I started to think about that in the context of the church. It's almost as if as soon as we all have our solution to the problem, all of us do. We're often like, well, no, if we focus on this, what should the language be? How should we approach this topic? Where should we focus our energy? We really need to focus on this and we need to focus on that. And Jesus is like, no, no, 
We need to recognize what calls us together under the name of Jesus. And when we do that, you'll actually be given power and authority to thwart that, that attempt of the enemy to create greater division amongst us. Yeah. Acts chapter 9, um, verse 31. It's a passage in Scripture that uses this word ekklesia. And uh, this, is a, a, this is a Greek word found in the New Testament over 115 times. And if you've been in church for a while, you've heard me use this phrase before and talk about how it, how it, 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 it symbolizes or represents who we are as believers in Jesus. But one of the things I find so interesting about this term is that it has two definitions. And sometimes when you start to learn the definitions, they almost appear like they're working in contradiction to one another. They don't seem to make sense. For example, the first definition of this word ecclesia means a gathering together or an assembling of people. Now we know that um, the church is not a building. It's not a physical location. It is the gathering together of those who believe right. in Jesus. Right. And as we gather and we assemble, that is the ecclesia, the church. But then there's another definition. And this definition means to be called out or the called out ones. And um, I don't know about you, but I usually go to find the definitions to bring clarity to a word, not to create greater confusion. But if you don't understand the significance of what it's saying, it seems like they're working in opposition to one another, but they're not. This word literally means that we are the assembled, because think about it, how can you assemble and be separated at the same time? But it's saying that we are separated from the world and assembled to a new tribe, to a new kingdom, out of the old world and into a new kingdom. There's something significant in it. Listen to what it says in Acts 9. It says, So the church, or the ecclesia, throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. I, I don't know about you, but when I read that, there's one phrase that sticks out to me, and it's, they went um, in peace, enjoyed peace, but being built up and going on, there's that movement word going on. How did they go forward in the fear of the Lord? In the fear of the Lord. Now, um, I don't recommend that you watch the news all the time today because I believe that one of the primary problems with the news and, um, is that what is reported is usually not what's important, but usually what gains ratings. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, what news uh, media does he watch? That's all news. I was a communications major, and I'll never forget my first mass communications course. We learned that negative news actually carries three times even well, wealth farther than any good news would carry. So if you are a ratings-based organization and you need ads and you need viewership and you need people to watch, well, the way to gain it is to usually get something that draws people. Unfortunately, because of the brokenness in our humanity, we're always drawn to the negative news. And so we're always like, oh no. And I don't know what it is, but we're like stuck to it. We turn on the news, we're like, it's terrible, but we won't look away. We just keep watching it. And then we go to the next one, we're like, oh, it's terrible. And we keep watching it and watching it. And it does something to our spirit. It begins to deteriorate our spirit. But this is that the church went on, it moved in the fear of the Lord. And it's just this reverence. And I, for me, this is how I picture it. It's, it's me being aware that God's in control. You will always be overwhelmed yeah. if, if you think that you're the one that is expected to keep things in control. Yeah. Yeah. You ever hear people saying, oh, this is such a huge problem. For who? For who? For you? Come on. For me? 
Maybe so, but not for God. Yeah. Not for God. God's not overwhelmed by it saying, oh, what am I going to do? There's riots and there's looting and there's division and discord. He's not overwhelmed by that. And, and he's not belittled or, or hidden away from that. And as the church grew, they moved with a sense of awe and reverence to God, as the scripture says, in the fear of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it talks, or I would say, that Paul attempts to describe um, the church or the called out ones in a new way, saying, listen, we don't operate in the way that we used to operate. We don't think the way that we used to think. We don't behave the way that we used to behave. We don't talk the way that we used to talk. Our actions are changed. How? Through our striving? No, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He sets the courts, and we always come back to who is Jesus, and we focus on the, the example that he set in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I love what he says. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? He says, the old is gone and the new has come. He's almost, he's putting a stake in the ground saying, listen, if you are in Christ, you're not part of the old world. You're not part of the old kingdom. You are a called out one, a chosen one, a separated one. And he says, so we don't act the same. So what does that mean in, in society today? It means that we can see through spiritual lens that the enemy is attempting to, to divide really household against household, family against family, uh, a father against son, well, mom against daughter. He's trying to divide the people um, of this nation, but we need to recognize as people of God that he has not called us to division, he's called us to unity. Yeah. It was his prayer to the father, God, keep them as one. Keep them as one. Why do you think he prayed that? Because he knew that the tactic of the enemy would be to distort, to lie, to confuse, to cause chaos, to cause division. And when that happens, there's little strength in the body of Christ. So he's called us to be together. Our series titled Tribe comes from a few passages in Revelation. And um, here's one of them I want to read to you in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. This is what it says. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He's called us out from every part of the world. Yeah. He's called us out from every background, ethnicity, origin, language, yeah. tribe, and he's called us into a new family, into a new unit. Right. And I love this because for, for, for many of us, when we watch what's going on today, we often reassess our own life and say, okay, well, where do I fall on this argument? Where do I fall on this organization or this yeah. political ideology? Where do I fall on this on this?" timeline of moving kind of belief systems in society. And I don't know about you, but you can almost feel like you're going crazy if you watch the news because one day you're supposed to think this way, and then the next day you're supposed to think this way, and then you should say this, but then don't say that. But if you say this, you have to say that. And if you don't say this and you're watching it, and it's almost like you don't know what to say. Why? Because if there's no moral absolute, if there's no concrete foundation of right and wrong, we live in a relativistic society, so it's always like, well, whatever you want. Well, if your whatever you want violates whatever I want, then there's a conflict, but then we start to argue and say, well, you can't say that, but you can say this. I, I, I was in a conversation with someone, they said, you shouldn't be silent. And I said, I agree. 
I agree, we shouldn't be silent. We should speak out on injustice and racism and all these things. But the moment my speaking out began to violate issues of sexuality, marriage, or the origin of specific things that are contrary to the word of God, and then it's like, be quiet, don't speak, that's intolerant, that's not fair, that's the thing. I was like, hold on, you just told me silence was wrong, and now I'm speaking out, and now speaking out is wrong. And the truth is, when people in, in, in a culture attempt to appease everyone in their understanding of truth, there's a deterioration of everything. And, and we're living in a, in a culture right now, and this is why I've, I believe this word is so important for us as a family, and I really believe that this is how we intentionally move forward and advance the kingdom of God and proclaim the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, the name that heals, restores, strengthens, brings justice, brings healing. It brings all of that. And we have to remember that's the family we're called to. That is the family we're called to. Um, I, I've, I've watched how, how political ideology and hatred towards certain groups or organizations can cause intense division amongst believers. And I really believe that you don't solve that through silence. I believe that. But I believe what when you come together, you come with an intention to hear one another, to, to bear one another's burdens, to understand, to empathize with where people are. But to understand that at the end of the day, we've been called out. We right. are the church. We've been yeah. called out, separated by God yeah. to be united under what? Yeah. To be united under the name of Jesus. Yeah. And when we can do that, man, there's power in that. And you know, the apostle Paul saw this happen early on in the church. It wasn't as if division is new. He said this in, in Colossians chapter three, verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And it was almost like he was saying, time out, time out, time out. I see it happening. And this is this natural flow. The Jews are sitting over here. The Gentiles are going here. The circumcised are going here. The uncircumcised, the free, the slave. We're all getting into these groups. He says, no, no, no. That's not what we're called to. He says, Christ is all. Yeah. And he says, and in all. He's almost saying, no, 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 that's the old world. He says, we are in a new tribe, in a new kingdom of God. And he says, so we need to start acting like this. We need to start seeing one another in the way that God sees one another and stop drawing greater division amongst ourselves. I mean, to be, I really believe in my own life. Um, well, let's, for me, it's, it, I believe sports has helped me in a lot of ways, and maybe this helps you. Um, I suppose it will if you played sports. If not, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> it's helped me to understand that whenever I saw someone who was better than I was in a specific position or, or doing a certain task in a certain sport, whether wrestling, football, baseball, whatever it was, I always felt like this automated response in me. It was, the, it was either like I'm going to celebrate that person yeah. or I'm going to naturally begin to get bitter yeah. and kind of make excuses. Well, yeah. it's only because, yeah. you know, and then I would say, that, well, that's the only thing they do good. You know, I mean, like I could do this, 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 and this, and that's all they can do. So, I mean, whatever, you know, you know, and, and, and then I found like, well, why am I saying that? Well, it's insecurity, right? Yeah. Insecurity manifests itself in trying to diminish the significance of people around you. And that's really the, the, the formation of racism. There's a sense of superiority over other people because of the color of your skin. But prejudice exists even beyond racism. 
Prejudice exists in religious beliefs, in socioeconomic places, in education. And it doesn't, it actually even, it exists in every community of race. It exists in the white community, in the black community, in the Hispanic community. It exists in every community of diversity that we have in this nation. And you say, well, why? It's because of our brokenness. It's because of the brokenness in our humanity. And when we start to see ourselves and we start to compare ourselves to other people, we find ourselves pointing the finger at one another. And we naturally try to divide to find significance in our divisions. And so sometimes, I mean, I, when I was, would be asked by a coach to say, hey, why should you start? I would tell them why I was better than the other person on the team. Well, I think I'm better because of this. And I was almost acknowledging the, you know, the, the distinct differences between us, which there's nothing wrong, but I was doing that to set myself apart from them. And I think this is the challenge, right? Like we need to see each other's giftings, talents, and skills. But if you can't celebrate them, you're pushing people away and you're creating barriers between one another. When you begin to celebrate one another, you actually get stronger. The family gets stronger. The, 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 the marriage gets stronger. Um, the household gets stronger. The church gets stronger. When we celebrate one another's successes, and, and really their giftings and the, their unique distinctives. I, I remember early on um, being very aware of this fact that you really only have two options. You can, you can celebrate or you can dismiss. You can celebrate or dismiss. Wow. And in our culture today, it's, um, it's very easy to dismiss things. Um, and then instead of celebrating, I, I call it the forced celebration. Have you ever been where people are like, you know, have you ever been somewhere and you're a significant other, someone's like, you will have a good time. <laughs> you know what I mean? You will smile, you will be polite, and you will enjoy this. And you're like, yeah. And then you go in and you're like, this is complete. You know, it's just awkward. You don't know how to react. But that's the forced celebration. And why? Because you can't be forced into empathizing. You can't be forced into loving people. And, and so then you say, well, then how do I do it? Well, you have to understand we do all things in light of who he is. Not to get a response from people, not to get a reaction, not for them to say, oh, they're so sweet. They're always so kind. It's not about us drawing attention to ourselves. It's about us reflecting who he is. Yeah. So that if people say, wow, look how kind is it like, who is this God that they serve? Right. So all that we do should be to give God glory right. in, in who he is in our life. And, and so you can't force celebration. You have to determine in your own heart when someone accomplishes something, when someone does something well, when God blesses somebody, yeah. what will my response be? You want to tell how unified and how united a household is? Don't watch anything other than how they celebrate when one person is blessed. You can even determine that in your marriage, in your own family, amongst siblings. Like, how do you celebrate when one person is blessed? And really, that is a, a great report card on the condition of your heart. He says in Romans chapter 10, 12 through 13, he says, For there is no distinction. I love this. And why does he say no distinction between Jew and Greek? There was an obvious distinction, but that distinction comes from the old kingdom and the old world that they were yeah. part of, not this new one. So Paul's rewriting the script. He says there's no distinction wow. between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. And we live in a world that's suffering from the sin, the, the effects of sin. 
And we see it. I mean, I've been watching um, some of the riots and some of the frustrations and some of the people's opinions. And even those who have a, what appears to be a pure motive and a heart to really deal with um, injustice in our nation, you can find them swaying and, 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 and you can find even people interviewing them to find out where do I put you? Like, what side are you on? Like, where do you really fit? Asking the subtle questions of political ideology or asking subtle questions about movements or this and that. So where are you in the pie of this? And I don't know about the Apostle Paul, but he would probably be like, I don't have an opinion about that. I don't have an opinion about that. I'm with Christ. And they would probably be like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. But what about this? He's like, no, no, I'm with Christ. Yeah. And, and I'm united and loving one another and calling people out. Um, and they'd say, yeah, but we got to deal with this and say, well, I believe this is how I deal with bringing people together under the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, this is what I want you to know, too, is that sin always leads to greater division. Always leads to an increase in division. It never brings greater unity ever. Um, I know that if Liz and I get in an argument, um, do you ever feel like when you get in an argument with someone, you, you, you know what you should do, but you don't want to do it because for the moment you think that actually acting in sin is going to really make them feel worse, but really it only makes you feel worse. But for some reason you just get stuck in it. And so you're like, so-and-so offended me. And you're like, and then immediately I have the right to be offended. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. How dare they do that? And then we walk around frustrated, ar you know, arrogant, you know, angry at everyone around us. And we realize in that moment, I could have chosen something completely opposite to respond to, but I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. And then we affect not only ourselves, but everyone else. And I just want to say this, when you do that, there is a greater division that's created amongst whoever you're arguing with. And may I just remind you that when, when you're operating intentionally in an area of offense, bitterness, and anger, you're not going to ref reflect Christ. You're not going to re represent Christ. I, I often, and I don't know, <laughs> this is a counseling moment for me. I don't know if this is like for me sometimes I'm like, I know what I should do. If I say, sorry, I was wrong, it'll be done. We'll grow stronger in our marriage and whatnot. But I'm just like, no, no. I don't, and, and they say, well, why would you do that? And my simple thing was like, what? I don't want to. I don't care. And I don't even think we realize what we're saying, but there's always a consequence to our decision. Yeah. And usually that may not be, you know, massively significant. But when I say I don't care, the consequence can sometimes be I'm not a good father to my children. I lose sleep. I lose a few days of joy and happiness. Why? Because I got in a fight or an argument and I don't want to take the higher road and just say sorry. And I, don't, I think the, the only way that we get to a place of real healing and reconciliation is if we begin to show the way of how that happens in conversation, in love, in the way that people treat us, whether they treat us right or wrong, that we need to reflect Christ in all that we do. Um, I heard this quote, and I, I think it's pertinent to share today. It says that the further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And I think if we're going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, and if we're going to act as ministers of reconciliation, which Christ has called us to do, um, we need to make sure that we speak truth in love. Yeah.
just this past Sunday, we talked about the topic of sexuality. And I know that's it's always been a sensitive top topic for many churches to, to speak on. And the reason we attempt to approach topics that might be difficult, it's not because we're it's not because we're trying to make a name for ourselves or do things. It's because we believe this one principle. That when truth is proclaimed, freedom can be experienced. And if that, if that is true, if that simple thought is true, that if truth is proclaimed in love and in great, with grace, that people can experience real freedom. And so it is our desire that people would walk in freedom not bound to sin, not a slave to sin, that they would walk in a greater freedom. And if that's our heart's desire, it cannot happen if truth is not shared. And so we so desperately desire to share truth with people week in and week out. And so how do we heal um, a a broken nation? We've been uh, really studying and and praying on this verse in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. And it says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Sometimes that wicked way is just you thinking you know all the answers. And sometimes in seasons of chaos, it's just you admitting, God, I don't know how you're going to work all this out, but I trust that you can. And I know that you will. So turning from our wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Many people are crying out for healing and for justice. And I just know that the only way that real healing and justice will come to place is if Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, takes a lead and a a demonstration of loving people, regardless of their opinion, regardless of where they stand in arguments or ideologies, but we would reflect Jesus. And as a church, as ones called out from the world and assembled together, chosen people, that we need to remember we are united under one name, and it's the name of Jesus. Let me finish with this last verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. Paul writes, Make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Why? Because there's strength in unity. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And every time that we gather and we get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we never like to close one of these broadcasts without giving people an opportunity to connect with Jesus. So wherever you are, I'm going to ask you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to speak to you just for this moment. Maybe you have been watching for, for a few weeks. Maybe you're um, you know, just tuning in to our broadcast and you're kind of saying, well, I, I don't know of this Jesus and what do I need to do to be part of this family or the called out ones? And let me begin by saying this, that you were created on purpose for a purpose. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew you, he loves you and he cares for you. And maybe you've experienced pain and prejudice and you've gone through bitter times in your life. That is not from God. God didn't desire that to be your path. But I want you to know something, that he desperately wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to guide and direct you through this life. 
The Bible says that there's a problem though, that sin in your life and in my life has separated us from knowing God. But God remedied that. He sent Jesus Christ to earth. He lived and he died. He went to the cross and he shed his blood and he sacrificed himself so that you and I could walk in greater freedom. And you might be sitting here saying, I, 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 don't, I don't understand. I, why would Jesus need to go to the cross? He needed to deal with the issue of sin in your life and in my life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So wherever you are today, I need you to know one thing. You can't purchase salvation. You can't work towards it. God doesn't set a bar really high and say, listen, okay, now here you go. Go for it. Work as hard as you can and achieve to that mark. And when you get there, you'll be saved. He doesn't do that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, that it is by grace through faith that you receive salvation. And so you can't earn it. It can only be received. I know sometimes when we say that you're thinking to yourself, why? I, I've done too many things wrong. No, my friend, nothing, nothing is too far to keep you from the love of Jesus. So wherever you are right now, I wanna lead you in a prayer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And so I wanna lead you in this prayer. And wherever you find yourself, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I'm now a Christian in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, before we go, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over everybody. And so wherever you find yourself, um, if you want, you can stretch your hands to heaven. Um, but let me pray for you before we go today. Father, I thank you uh, for all that you've done in and through us as a church. And Father, in the midst of chaos and calamity, God, I thank you that you're still for us and not against us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that greater sea is in us than he is in the world. Father, I thank you for the celebration of fathers today. And I pray that you would be with every father in this house, God, that you would guide us and protect us. Allow us to walk in obedience, God, before you. May May we govern ourselves well in our marriage and as fathers over our children. And God, I pray that, that as we move forward in this chaotic period, that we would unite under the very thing that holds us together, which is the name that's above every other name. It's the name of Jesus. So Father, I thank you for victory. I thank you for overcoming. I thank you for healing. I thank you for peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, I thank you that because of what you've done, we can we can confidently declare to our future that our best days are still ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless.